Well, I don't think I need any letter of recommendation. <laughs> I don't know how long I've been, uh, probably since about 2003, coming here and most of that time a member. Um, but we haven't been around very much recently, uh, and that's because we're spending most of our time in Beckington near Froome. And especially this autumn, I seem to have been preaching a lot. Uh, I, uh, they, they don't have a minister in Froome Baptist Church at the moment, so I'm moderating for them. Uh, well, at Bestest Church, they don't have a, a church building. They're using a school, and sometimes it's difficult in the week to where do you meet. You know, it's hard for a church meeting or a prayer meeting in some people's houses. It's very big. You know, so it's not just in Albania, you know, where churches have pressures. Um, but anyway, the Eve, and I'm preaching some of the small villages, and they even let me preach in the Anglican church in Beckington <laughs> next week. So I want to, um, to take as a text uh, my text this morning from that passage that, uh, that Jill read to us in verse 15 of chapter 2. We are the aroma of Christ. It seems an odd thing to think that we, we smell of Jesus, if we can put it crudely. Um, but that's what it is. And I'm going to look at that in a little while, but I just there's two pictures I want to, to bring you first. Uh, you've been um, looking in the last ten weeks over uh, newness of life. Uh, what, the new things that God is doing, the new things God has done in our lives. So I, I said to, uh, to, to Pete, I'm tempted to, uh, to preach on the hymn, Tell Me the Old, Old Story. <laughs> um, because it is, it's the same old story, but it brings new life. And that's, that's what we're about. And then, but actually, I looked at the words of the hymn, and it didn't actually seem such a silly idea. I'm not going to preach on it. But um, uh, it says, tell me the old, old story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory of Jesus and his love. And if you read all the verses, it's, it says, I need to hear about Jesus in every circumstance. You know, when I'm, when I'm feeling great and I'm, when I'm feeling really down and, 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 and when I'm about to go to glory at every situation, I'm, I need you to tell me about Jesus. And I hope that this morning this can come through and I hope that in our worship it can come through. Um, in some of the village pulpits, not, not any of the ones that I preach in at the moment, but sometimes you'd climb up to the pulpit or go to the reading desk and they'd have a, a text on that desk and it would say, Sir, we would see Jesus. And that's what we want to do, isn't it? We want to see Jesus through the preaching, through the worship. And uh, that's in, in John chapter 12 and verse 21. Um, and uh, it reminds me that if you go to, um, uh, to Wesley's Chapel in, in, in Bristol, there's a, as a um, uh, the, the outside in the courtyard, you have Wesley on his horse. And uh, round about it, there are some of his sayings written. And one of them is that in every sermon, he wants to offer Christ. And so... You know, I pray that if you don't really know Jesus, you know, you'll have an opportunity. You will have had an opportunity to hear about him, you do already, but to talk to somebody about it. That that's what brings new life. 
So two pictures this morning, one from Isaiah, the section that we read right at the beginning. I don't know what, uh, what version that was. Uh, was, it that, was that the, uh, the New Reader's Version? Right, so if, if you want to, to check it out, it's on page 482 of your church Bibles. And um, so there's a picture there, two pictures I want to bring this morning that I hope will encourage us um, in perhaps difficult times. Um, Isaiah was writing to bring hope and, and try and bring some understanding of what was going on in very difficult political times, not so different from our own, I think. And, um, and he wrote over a long period. Um, the country was often in danger of invasion, uh, morally bankrupt, and eventually went into exile. But it's, it's usually hard to see when he was actually writing in this very long period. Because he focuses on the universal truths of God. And you can't quite place it. And that's the amazing thing about Isaiah. We can see him writing, and he's writing for his time, but actually it's prophesying thousands of years ahead to the coming of Jesus. So um, this passage in Isaiah 2, um, it's a great passage and a great picture of a perfect world, a world at peace when Jesus returns, and it's a, a sort of... a a passage you could preach on at Advent and to look forward to his coming again. And um, it says in verse 4, they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. There must be many parts of the world when they just long for that peace. Um, and it's been an inspiration, not just for Christians, but for non-Christians. Non I, I believe that part of this is actually inscribed in the United Nations building in New York. I've, I remember a few years ago, there was, a, um, there was some art made out of weapons. And I think it was in Zimbabwe where they made a chair out of guns that had been handed in. This is just a picture, you know, of what God wants for this world. And we need to just keep that in the forefront of our minds. If you know the old hymn, the Scottish hymn based on this passage, it says, they'll hang their trumpets in the hall and study war no more. This is, this is what our God is working towards and we, we want to be part of that. But I, as I um, looked again at this passage, uh, just in the last few days, it talks about the mountain of the Lord being raised above the, above the hills. And one day the tables will be turned and everything will be reversed. Um, the, the setbacks that the nation have will be put aside. And one day the nations will be drawn to Israel. Whereas now they're trying to invade, they'll be drawn to it. All the nations will stream to it and say, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. But I looked again at that little verse that I just quoted, Sir, we would see Jesus, uh, in, in John chapter 12. And, um, and the, the words of, uh, of 
and some Greeks, some Gentiles, who were very diffidently coming to Jesus, thinking, well, we're Greeks. Do you think Jesus will be willing to talk to us, that well-known Jewish rabbi? Will he actually talk to us? So he had, they didn't ask Jesus directly. They asked Philip, you see. Sir, they said, we would see Jesus. Um, and, um, but it, that verse comes just immediately after uh, something that the Pharisees said when he just, uh, Jesus had just come into his triumphal entry into, into Jerusalem. Um, yeah, in, um, in verse 11. This is page 759. Um, let's see. yes right at the bottom of the page the, the Pharisees said to one another see this is getting us nowhere look how the whole world has gone after him and then immediately these Greeks come it's as though these Pharisees had got a prophetic word <laughs> you know, they could see what was happening somehow and, and, and sometimes God speaks to us even through our enemies. Um, and, um, and then just at the end of that little section in verse 33, uh, it says, Jesus says to them, but I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And that's, that's how it is. Now every race, every nation of the world, every language, no, they've all been drawn to Jesus. Not all of them, but some from every place. And that's just wonderful. And that's already fulfilled there in that prophecy of Isaiah. And so that was, you know, it was, it was, giving, us, it was giving the people that picture that you might feel you're so under pressure at the moment, but one day it will, tables will turn. People perhaps don't take any notice of what you're doing at the moment. It's a hard task out there. But one day, there'll be a reversal. So that's the first picture from Isaiah. And the second picture is um, in uh, 2 Corinthians. So this is um, totally, something totally different. It's a victory procession, um, probably in Rome. So the triumphant general is out at the front um, with his with his troops, all with their, all their you know, special uh, stuff on, all their medals and all polished up and looking, uh, looking amazing. And then following on behind, you've got the, um, the enemy. Bedraggled, disarmed and defeated, bringing up the, the rear. And actually, they probably haven't got very long to live. They're going to be thrown into prison or immediately thrown to the lions. They know what's going to happen to them. So there's, you know, there's the two sides there in that victory procession. And everyone watching the parade knows who's won. I mean, we don't see that today. I think the only place you might see it perhaps is on a, on a, a you know, old videos, old, old footage from the Second World War when perhaps British troops uh, uh, had landed in France and they were marching through the streets and the, the Germans were captive behind, that sort of thing. And everybody was cheering. I wonder if it's a little bit like um, the victory parade when your favourite team returns home with the cup. 
to the, to the city. You know, the open-top bus parade and everybody's cheering and everybody knows who's won. But he comes up with this picture, does Paul, um, because for him, everything for a while had been going wrong. Uh, now, I don't know how you, how you come this morning, if everything's been working out beautifully, or, oh no, you just wish you could put that week behind you, or even part of that year. You know, you've got some great plans and opportunities, but they're just not working out. And it seems like everything's against you. And, and this is what, what Paul says at the, just before he introduces uh, this in, um, in, in verse 12. It's headed ministers of the new covenant, if you've got this here. So he, he went to, um, to Troas to preach the gospel and there was a, an opportunity. But he just didn't have peace of mind. And he really wanted... Uh, to meet Titus uh, because Titus was his right-hand man. You know, they were working together, you know, like the, like the elders are together and, you know, you can't be on your own. And he needed really to meet up with Titus to find out what was going on and to, to get some encouragement. But he couldn't. He just couldn't get hold of him. You know, the, um, the internet was down and, um, <laughs> and the letters just weren't coming. Well, actually, they'd stopped sailing for the autumn, and so he decided to go by land instead. And then he met Titus, and so when, when he, he, he sets out to, um, to, uh, in um, verse 14, but thanks be to God, he always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ. So he's saying, you know, God is leading, God has led me, through this really difficult time, and he has had some difficulties, hasn't he? <laughs> in the other parts of 2 Corinthians, he says all the things that have happened to him. You know, he's been thrown in prison. We know that he's had health problems. His colleagues have sometimes let him down. Everything, he's just had everything go wrong at times. Through this, God is actually leading us in a procession that will in the end be triumphal. Even though you don't see it, you may not see, uh, you know, people coming to faith. It might be a small thing. You might be struggling with all sorts of things. But actually God is leading you through that. Um, God's got a bigger plan. He realises that the frustrations uh, are actually still working to spread the gospel. Um, But there's more than a picture here. Um, we can't bring smells here somehow. We can't go back and, and smell what it was like on that victory parade. But they had all sorts of incense and they, they had sweet-smelling sweet branches and flowers on, on the road in, in the front. So not only could everybody hear who'd won, everybody could smell that there was a victory. And, um, and, and, and then Paul says, we are the aroma of Christ. You know, we're in that victory parade. Christ is at the front. We're behind his, his soldiers. And we smell of Jesus. And, um, but you know, you can't squirt it on in the morning. Like your, your fragrant, uh, favourite fragrance or, or aftershave, you know. You can't just sort of squirt it on like that. 
It's who you are. It's who you are that gives that fragrance. You know, that actually we belong to Jesus. You know, we're his people. And if we belong to him this morning, then we have the fragrance of Jesus about us. Just comes from who we are and we can't, um, can't avoid it. Um, I, was, I was shopping yesterday and um, I just happened to, to glance around as I was shopping and I noticed somebody who I've known for a good few years. You might say that she's a, a, a saint. You know, we're all saints, aren't we? But I would say, you know, she's a saint of God. People know what she has done. It's very clear where she stands. Uh, and I think there's a fragrance about her. And I think Paul is saying there's a fragrance about us too. You know, we might not recognize ourselves as saints, you know, but we are. And we share in, 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 in what, what Jesus is. We, we go to... Uh, Myself and my wife, Jane, we go, you know, fairly regularly to Lee Abbey to help in, in pastoral uh, care there, just for, you know, a week or a weekend. And at the moment, there are two, uh, on their community, it's an international community, there's two Christians uh, from Pakistan. In their own country, they have no status, um, it's very hard to get any sort of job other than sort of cleaning jobs. And one of them is, is a keen cricketer. But he can't get onto a, a decent cricket team in Pakistan. But when he came here to, uh, to England, to Linton, he, he, as soon as he could, he went to go and talk to the, the, the town village team. And, and immediately, he was on the team. And he told me last time, actually, they did very well in the league this year, although he wasn't playing for the whole time. They're very glad to have an international. Um, but, you know, there are so many Christians, and, and us as well at times. We have no status, we're not looked up to, and yet we're right in the head of the victory parade, and there's, a, there's a, an aroma of Jesus that comes out of, out of us. And... Uh, you know, it's, it's true in many parts of the world, uh, you know, the, uh, the untouchables, the street sweepers in, in India. And most Christians are from the lower caste, the outcast. Um, and there's a group of uh, people I want to tell you about who are also living right on the edge of society in, um, in Cairo. And um, they're said to be the best people in the world at recycling. They recycle 80% of the rubbish in Cairo. That's higher than any other part of the world. I don't know what we get up to. <laughs> 10, 15, 20% if we're lucky. 80%. The Zabaline people. And uh, I first heard about them on, uh, I don't know if it was a daily service on Radio 4 or Thought for the Day. From Roy Jenkins, I don't know if you know Roy Jenkins, a sort of eldest, uh, elder statesman, really, a Baptist elder statesman. Um, now he must be in his 80s. Um, and he, was, he was doing Thought for the Day yesterday. I think he often gets the Saturday morning slot. And um, he, yesterday he was talking about the Bible, about how it's alive. 
He's talking about the translation of the Bible into Welsh, about how a street preacher was trying to get the attention of people and nobody was listening. So he put his Bible down on the floor and started jumping round and uh, saying, it's alive, it's alive. And they all came, you know, thinking, what's this, a snake on the ground? But, it's, and, but anyway, he, a few, uh, about six months ago, I think, he was, he was talking and describing these people who live in what they say in Cairo is called Garbage City. Because they collect all the rubbish uh, on, on little uh, and donkeys that will get into the, in the narrow alleyways, which are big rubbish collecting lorries, can't get there. And they bring it all back to where they live and they put all the plastic together in great big bales and they put the, um, uh, the cardboard together in bales. But they live amongst it and also they recycle all the food rubbish. So they keep pigs, which of course, you know, the majority Muslim population are not happy that uh, they do that, but they get, they get rid of their rubbish, don't they? And, um, but what is amazing is that 90% of the Zabalin are Coptic Christians. And they, they've hollowed out caves in the rock to worship in. Some of them seat thousands of people. Um, and they live among, there's a sort of a, a smell there in where they live. And people don't want to go to the uh, garbage city very much. But they worship there. And um, so I looked them up, you know, on Wikipedia. And you get all the, de- all the details. But there was, I don't know if it was there or from Sat7. But there's also a link to them worshipping. And I just want us to look at them worshipping. I don't know Arabic. I don't know what it means. If everybody does. So let's just watch this. Perhaps we can see a little bit more afterwards. But uh, do those people love Jesus? <laughs> I think there's something about the aroma of Jesus that comes from them and their worship, and yet they live in the middle of rubbish, and they're dealing with it. And I think we are often living in the middle of stuff that stinks in our world, and yet we are the aroma of Christ. And what Paul says is that being the aroma of Jesus separates people. There are some people who are drawn to us and some people who avoid us and go away from us. For those who are drawn, it affirms Jesus and they can come to faith. For those who are repelled by it, they realise that actually they're on the path that leads to death. And so just by belonging to him, we are bringing that good news. Because people do know us. If they know we're Christians, they know what we stand for. They know what we belong to. And they see the people that we are. So I pray that we may have truly the fragrance of Jesus about us. But it's... But Paul says at the end, who is equal to such a task, to be his representatives? Um, 
that's, uh, where's, where's the, oh yes, verse, verse 16 um, of chapter 2, yeah. To one we are the smell of death, to the other the fragrance of life. And who is equal to such a task? And that's what's set before us, isn't it? It's a great, a great task. We're not claiming anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. And perhaps just to end that, that last verse from the Isaiah picture, it says, Come, O house of Jacob, O church of Christ, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Amen.